the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the Heart of the City. Well, this is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, Director of Local Ministry Development with KGNW, and I enjoy uh, sharing with you every week at this time for Heart of the City. And uh, we like to take this time to share with pastors and ministry leaders in the in the Puget Sound area and have them share their stories uh, of of how they came to Christ how they became motivated to become pastors or to start a ministry or to start a parachurch ministry. And with me today is are Chris and Debbie Clark. They are uh, the founders of Children of the Nations, located in uh, Silverdale, uh, just over in Kitsap Peninsula. Uh, welcome today to Heart of the City. Thank you, Chuck. Thanks, Chuck. Great to be here. Well, it's... Uh, it's interesting to hear how how people have have come to the point that they are in their lives and how they took that progressive step uh, in their vocation, in their relationship with the Lord, in their relationship with their spouse, and how they got to the point of where they are right now. And and what it shows to me, and I'm sure in your story as well, it'll it'll reveal the faithfulness of God and how He's worked in your life in the various turns and, and, and events that occur to bring you to the place where you are today. And so um, there's two of you, so I'll have you share your stories a little bit separately and, and then together uh, as well. But Debbie, you grew up in this area. I did. I grew up in Edmonds, Washington. Yeah. Well, so Edmonds, would that be Edmonds Woodway High School? At that time, it was just Edmonds High School. It was just Edmonds. Mm-hmm. So, um, You're dating yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the compliment. Well, <laughs> well, you're welcome. You're welcome. So what was your, what was your life like in Edmonds back in those days? Were, were you a part of a Christian family? Were you, did, hmm. your, did your parents know the Lord? What happened? Sure. My mom was faithful to take us to church every Sunday. My dad did not attend church. And I, so I did grow up going to church, although um, in those growing up years, I would say that I never understood um, going to church even, what a personal relationship with Jesus Christ meant. Didn't understand about asking him into my heart and learning um, what that meant to live a life for him fully. And it wasn't until when I was in high school, actually, I was in 10th grade and I went to a Young Life meeting. And it was at that Young Life meeting, in fact, Chris and I have joked about that in the years since, because for many years he worked for Youth for Christ, Mm -hmm. but it was in a Young Life meeting in 10th grade that I heard for the first time what it meant to have a personal relationship with Christ. And uh, my eyes all of a sudden were opened as I um, began to understand what that meant. And from that point on, I would say, is when I really 
um, started to both understand that, invited Christ into my life, and began to live a life fully for Him. Hmm. So, did that uh, was that an apparent thing to your to your parents, to your family, to your uh, siblings? Mm-hmm. It was actually. Um, again, my my mother, who's from North Dakota, and um, an incredible woman who is one of my best friends still today. She's almost eighty, mm. and is an incredible supporter of both uh, both of us and our ministry, and an amazing woman of prayer. Um, grew up in North Dakota, as I said, and your faith was a was a personal kind of private thing um, where she grew up and probably even in the church that I grew up in. It was uh, you kind of kept your faith a little bit more stoic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You kind of kept that part quiet. It was a, a private personal thing. And so when I um, began to understand what it meant to live for Christ and was vocal about sharing that, um, my mom will tell the story about, you know, how as well she began to see um, uh, a new perspective of her, her faith journey at that point. Neither one of, I have two brothers, neither mm-hmm. one of my brothers were walking with the Lord at that time. And uh, my mom actually was a, um, in my high school years, was a single mom. My um, parents divorced when I was in ninth grade. Mm. And so she was trying to parent all three of us, and my my brothers gave her a hard time. But since um, those years, both my brothers started attending church. In fact, my young, well, I'm the youngest, so my middle brother, he gave his life to Christ, and then later my older brother did as well. So that's been really fun to see. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with Chris and Debbie Clark, founders of Children of the Nation here in Paulsbo. Chris, how about you? Well, my story started in Japan. Uh, my parents uh, were missionaries. I'm the fifth generation of a missionary. And uh, my dad had been, a, to make a long story short, a salesman uh, um, up in Port Angeles, Washington, and met my mom, who had come back on furlough, being in Japan. She had gone uh, as a result of MacArthur's uh, drive to bring missionaries to Japan mm-hmm. and came back on furlough, and they fell in love at Sambika, Lake Sammamish Bible Camp, um, she uh, then coerced him into going back to Japan. So they went, and, and three of us kids were born. And then we came back to the United States primarily because my mom, my dad couldn't learn Japanese. And at the time, you had to know Japanese in order to be a missionary. They were more, a lot stricter then. And uh, so they asked them to uh, run the Island Lake Camp, Bible Camp at the time which was owned by seven churches, but is now owned by Christian Ministries mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was during that uh, time frame that my mom, who had come from a, an interesting background, none of her parents knew the Lord. My father uh, came from a spiritual background, but he was uh, not walking with the Lord for many years. Uh, but my mom was very militant in making sure that we understood who Christ was. Hmm. And I do remember kneeling down next to her chair there at Iden Lake when I was probably five years old, and I... Uh, repeated this this sinner's prayer at the time is what they shared. And uh, I think that's when I accepted Christ. But it wasn't until I was 18 and come back from Africa, spending a lot of my growing up years, that uh, my parents coerced me into (laughs) going to Multnomah Bible College. Uh, It's just called Multnomah now. And I went down there and and said, no, they're too spiritual here. I I can't stand all this Jesus stuff. And I came back that weekend, and that was when the Lord really wrestled with me. Mm. Uh, And uh, it's pretty emotional to think about that. Wow. Uh, But I came back from that weekend knowing that there was a fight for my soul. 
And um, I decided to go back to Multnomah. And that night I prayed that God would uh, fill the vacancy in my heart. And mm-hmm. he did, my gosh. And since then I've been serving him and trying to uh, make his name great. And that's led us all over the place, uh, both here in Washington State and, and now across the, the world. Um, but it started, um, I would say, when I finally gave up and said, okay, Lord, you can have control. And um, I, I do remember in the early years of my childhood being in Liberia, West Africa, and I remember my dad, a part of our Christian service at the time was we had to go serve at an orphanage every Sunday. And I hated it because I was a teenager. I wanted to go ride a motorcycle on the beach. I didn't want to, you know, go hang out with my girlfriends, not go and see a bunch of snotty-nosed African uh, orphans. <clears throat> but God, I didn't know it then, obviously, but God began to lay that layer of compassion in my heart. Um, and I remember songs. Uh, see, Chuck, what you've got me into here? Uh, <laughs> I remember songs that the kids sang um, in their faith, waiting on God to provide food. And they would sing these little chants that I still have in my head. And that um, I was amazed that without doubt, when the kids would sing a song, here comes a truck with food out of nowhere. And I'd say, whose truck is that? they say, I don't know. That's, that's our Papa God. He's provided. And I think fast-forwarding when we got involved, when Debbie and I met each other, I was working with Youth for Christ, and she was a teacher at Suquamish Elementary, the tribe there, uh, Suquamish tribe. Um, you know, God was working in us to care for the children the, uh, probably the down-and-out kids of our communities at that time. And I think Children of Nations came out of that because God had already sensitized our hearts. And at the time, you know, we were thinking of the Kitsap County area, but God had a bigger pond for us. Well, tell me how you did meet. Well, as Chris shared, I was a teacher at Suquamish Elementary School and still living in Seattle, actually, at that point. So every day I would take the ferry over to Suquamish area to teach and then take the ferry back home again at night. And Chris, I didn't know it at the time. In fact, we didn't discover it until a few years later, all the different connections. I didn't know, but a few of those times he was on the same ferry, and we laughed because I didn't notice him, but he noticed me. <laughs> so it's I was. Still that way. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. So I was in my classroom one day, and um, Chris walked in because one of my teaching assistants, I taught special education. So I had a, a small classroom with severely behavioral disordered children and children that had some severe learning disabilities and had a couple teaching assistants and she set us up on a blind date oh wow so chris walked into my classroom one day and his opening line was i hear i'm supposed to meet you and we That's went a good pickup line <laughs> yeah pretty good <laughs> we went uh, out on our first date it was a, a prayer meeting and dinner and um, i want to make sure her priorities are straight there right? you go <laughs> but at that point we both we both realized that we had um, an incredible love for children and young people and i had uh, obviously gone into teaching before that I had worked at children's hospital and in our early years of marriage, we began to do foster care and worked with Youth for Christ and took about 40 babies into our home and foster kids over those first few years of marriage. Wow. And married what year? In 88. I, I was going to see if you remember, and he did. <laughs> Good man. <laughs> Good man. So you're, you're, that's 88, so you're what, 27, 27, 27 years. years. Very 27 good. 27 years, yeah. 
still so, learning. <laughs> so I'm sure. So fostering fostering children. So uh, that had to have been a. But you both had a heart for it, mm-hmm. and that I'm sure made a difference. If one of you had a heart for it and the other one didn't, that probably wouldn't have been very successful. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but yet you both had a heart for for children and 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 fostering. So then, obviously, you had a background in missions. But what began to stir in your heart, as far as taking your bride and going somewhere else, or or going on the mission field? Or? Well, I th- I think that our hearts were stirring. You know, always when you look back, you see what God was doing. Um, even starting foster homes and um, having all the kids in our own home. You know, you can see how He was sensitizing. I was working in the juvenile justice system as well. We were doing large um, evangelistic events with Youth for Christ. And so, you know, being that I was raised, I was in 14 different homes by the time I graduated from high school. My parents moved that much. Um, uh, I think transition was a healthy thing in my mind. It was a, a necessary thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking. I don't know if Debbie was. She Well, a, I lived at the same house for 18 years, yeah. as I shared with you earlier, mm-hmm. Chuck. So. And in those early days of marriage, Chris's family growing up in, well, being in Japan and growing up in Africa, and they would tell um, West African jokes, and I didn't understand any of them. And um, that was obviously a pretty foreign concept uh, to me, and I was scared to death of it, to be honest with you. I had no desire to go to Africa. Um, it was during the years when that song came out. You'll remember, Please Don't Send Me to Africa. Remember that one? Um, and that was my theme song because I think there was a great fear there that the Lord would call us to Africa. And, oh, please don't do that. Well, over again, over the first few years of marriage, God began to work in me and change my heart as well. And when we were with Youth for Christ and um, we started hearing God's whisper of that first trip, by that time, I was actually um, curious and intrigued and somewhat excited, or I would say, yes, excited to go on that first trip to Africa, which was a, a huge jump for me. Chris is the visionary. I'm the kind of steady Eddie, or was. So um, we were kind of living in two different worlds. But on that first trip, he felt like he had gone home again, and everything was familiar, and everything was not familiar to me, but God touched both of our hearts in the same way, for sure. And as God always does, he invites you, right? He doesn't force you, invites you. And if you respond, then there's all kinds of opportunity. And that's what happened in 1995. We were invited to go to Sierra Leone to help the children living there from Liberia, the refugee kids, at refugee camps. Now, part of it was my dad was harassing me. He kept saying, you know, you got to get back to Africa. You got to, uh-huh. you need to go where there's need. There, These American kids don't have any needs here. You need to go over there. So that was uh-huh. a part of um, just listening. And so we did this Wild wa- wild Waves water park event, and we raised $5,500, and that created the opportunity to send a container of goods to this, the refugee kids. And in doing that, Youth for Christ invited us to come. And so we left on that journey. And it was while we were there that we saw thousands of kids. And you know what God always does. He opens up opportunity, invites you, and then you see, hey, I could do something about this. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. We got on the plane coming back and thought, how can we go back to Paulsbo and not do anything? So literally we thought, we're just going to find another organization that will take care of these kids. We'll (laughs) help fundraise if Uh we need to because we can do that. 
It was quite timely because, um, in God's timing, because at that time we had three young children at home. We had uh, three preschoolers, actually, a, a three-year-old, two three-year-olds and a five-year-old that were children um, that were ours. We'd adopted mm-hmm. all three when they were young. And so going and seeing the discrepancy of all these young children in Africa and how we had cared for our children at home so carefully and thought about all the details and then to go to Sierra Leone and to see these same age children living on the streets, living in refugee camps with no one to call mom and dad. We'd see little five-year and six-year-olds with babies tied onto their back that they were caring for. We would visit um, different orphanages at the time, and I can remember specifically still today seeing cribs in this one orphanage, and the cribs were just metal bars and a metal bottom, no mattress on the crib, no sheet on the mattress because there's no mattress to put it on. And in my mind, I thought, I just want to help them to get mattresses and sheets in those cribs Mm -hmm. because I was thinking very practically. But... Again, as Chris shared, when both of us got on that plane, we knew that we could not get back on that plane and not do something about what we had seen. And we both felt that same strong calling. You know, there might be couples that are listening today, uh, and maybe one, maybe not both of them, are sensing a call to whether it's a certain ministry, maybe it's not missions, maybe it's, you know, to, to do something uh, in the local community, or maybe it is a call to missions to a different country, but yet their spouse isn't there yet. What would you say to them? How would you encourage them? I know that's a tough question that I'm popping on you, but, you know, because it does take both of you, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it really does. And if one's not ready yet, what do you advise to them? Well, I would say God works in the midst of all that. I don't think that that's not his will. I think there's usually when that's happening, there's something more you need to learn along the way. So I I don't think, um, you know, creating hostilities between each other, saying, okay, this is what God has said, now you're going to do it, Mm -hmm. works. I think think depending upon what sometimes uh, if a ministry involves your family, then it does have to do with both of you. You're calling kids to come and live with you, for instance. That does affect your spouse. It's not just about you. But I think there are many ministries that don't require both of you and your home to be actively involved in that ministry. Sometimes God does call, but he always confirms that call in your spouse. So even with youth for, uh, with Children of the Nations, when we started, I saw it. I had the vision for it. Debbie was very much, okay, well, let's figure this out. Let's go with it. But not to the extent of where we are today. You know, I, I always say it's a good thing God couldn't um, didn't allow me to see 21 years forward, or I think I would have probably put the brakes on <laughs> then. <laughs> Although now, looking back, yeah. it's just such an incredible blessing, and we neither one of us would trade it for anything in the midst of it's not easy work. There's The battle is definitely real, but we wouldn't be doing anything else because there's nothing like walking in obedience. But for me, God knew that I... He knows what what we're needing, and he knew that I needed to see it. Had I not gone there, it wouldn't have been the same if Chris would have taken this trip to Africa on his own, come back and told me what the needs were. I needed to be with him to see it, to experience it, and that's how God confirmed that call. Mm -hmm. But I do think that God works through prayer, and he works through fasting. You know, we miss that in America, that the opportunity that fasting brings. But God can change any heart, and including your own when you're in the midst of that. Sometimes God does re-change or redirect your passions. 
But it's a journey that you're both on, and the journey needs to be harmonious. It can't be one without the other. You have to find a medium ground. So I'd say be patient, but don't give up on that dream. Pray that pray passion into your spouse's heart mm-hmm. that God would move and, and then wait, he, and he'll do it. He'll mm-hmm. create opportunity. He's faithful, and he will. If, he, if he's calling you to that, if he isn't, are you open to seeing maybe what your spouse has been interested in mm-hmm. and finding a way to support that, even if it's for a season? You know, I think God works on that. Yeah, yeah. So after that trip to Africa, and and when did you start to formalize Children of the Nations as far as, a, I guess, an organization, and how did that process happen? It was pretty quick after we came home. Again, the the calling was extremely strong, so that first trip was in September. Chris, right away when we came home, started calling around, as he shared, trying to find someone else to start this work or to do something for the children of Sierra Leone. That was October, maybe a little bit of November. But by November, December, we, again, the more we were searching, the more we heard God saying, no, I've called you to do this work. And um, that's what was so incredible, just looking back at that time. And even knowing my personality, the plotter, the planner, the um, I had never um, stepped out to that degree in faith before. And so the calling was extremely strong. And Chris, I can remember him sh- sharing at the time, yes, I know this is what God has called us to because you're agreeing to this as well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that it, w- it was just a couple months later. And by January, I think it was January, that you were headed back on the next trip to Sierra Leone. Yeah. So fast forward now, what is the ministry uh, like now as far as Children of the Nations? How many countries are you in? What's what's happening now? Well, we started, you know, um, responding with our hearts. So, you know, a child doesn't have a family, you want to put a family around them. They don't have food, you want to put food. And I would say in a humanitarian way, of course, always as a mission uh, that God was sending us, and that was paramount. They had to know Christ. But beyond that, a child needs a lot more than just the knowledge of Christ. You know, he's hungry, uh, he's starving, he's sick. You got to help him. Um, so I would say that was the beginnings of rescuing and raising children. Was our first statement of, of our mission. Uh, but now we've changed that the uniqueness of an orphan child that if they have lost people that love them and they have lost that sense of community, when they find that and they get the opportunity to dream again then they think beyond just their own circumstance. They think about their community and their nation, their world. And the opportunity for creating tipping points in their minds is huge. And so a typical child that has lost both parents doesn't have that kind of that net, if you will, to fall back on. So they're an overcomer by nature. They recognize that God has given me the power that I have. So I'm going to go forward. I have the opportunity to school Go to school, I'm going to get a good grades. Opportunity to share, I'm going to give share. So I think we've recognized that that holistic mindset is really important um, as kids respond and get the opportunity to change their nations. Yeah. And so now we have schools, we have hospitals, we have clinics, we have everything that it takes. We have well drilling machines, you know, the th- you can't send a child to school if their st- stomach is sick from cholera. You know, they don't have a clean water source. We have uh, entrepreneur businesses. We have lots of different avenues. But the centrality of our program is around our village partnership program and our children's homes. 
So that when we say what programs you run, those are the two that we have. But we've got lots of other ways that people have really helped us to create transformation in the communities that we serve. In five different countries. I don't know if you mentioned that. Dominican Republic, Haiti, Sierra Leone, Uganda, and Malawi. Wow. Well, we've just got about one minute left. Dream with me for a second. What's the future look for you? If Jesus tarries and everything is and your health stays good, where do you want to what do you want to have happen in 10 years with Children of the Nations? Well, I think about all these kids that are going through college and they are poised to create transformation. And I'm really excited about what that's going to look like. Again, I'm not Jesus, so I don't know what he's going to do with their individual relationships, but I think there's synergy that happens when there's commonality in their backgrounds. And so them working together and creating transformation together is really exciting to me. Of course, we'll still rescue kids. We'll still bring kids in. And our kids will be doing that and creating opportunity for their own siblings and their own countries that I think will be completely sustainable. Amen. Well, we've been talking today to Chris and Debbie Clark with Children of the Nations, founders of Children of the Nations. And I want to thank you for joining me today and for sharing your story. I think it gives hope to people who are are dreaming about that opportunity to share the gospel with others. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on KGNW, call Chuck Olmstead at 206-269-6216 or go to KGNW.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.